Turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 2, if you will. Luke chapter 2. And as you're taking your seats, I just want to uh, welcome everybody. What a great Sunday to be together. Welcome everybody joining us online. If you are planning to come to our Christmas concert on the 12th, these flyers on your chairs will tell you what items to bring, the donations that we're looking to accumulate that night. So make sure you take these with you and take a couple extras to invite friends if you would like to. We're going to take a break from our Sermon on the Mount series till the beginning of the new year so that we can enter into this Christmas season and reflect together on the astounding reality that the Son of God took on flesh and became one of us. Christians around the world uh, celebrate Christmas. How many, how many of you just love Christmas? Christmas is like your fave. Oh, yeah, totally, absolutely. Um, and for sure, for Christians around the world, it's so meaningful because Jesus Christ is at the, the center of it all. The birth of Jesus changed everything. It changed the world. The birth of Jesus gives life and light and hope, the thrill of hope uh, to, to all, no matter who you are or where you're at in life right now. Why? Well, because this announcement in Isaiah chapter 9, I'll read this, says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. Doesn't that just sparkle with hope and joy as you think about the the, the implications of, of the gift that this is, the promise that this is. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. What I'd like to do, though, is I'd like for us to explore over the next couple of weeks, who are the us? Who are the us in the four unto us? A child is born and a son is given. Who are the us. And when you think about this and you explore the Bible, you find that the answer to that question is, is as usual, quite surprising and yet powerfully comforting and encouraging. And what I mean is this prophecy in Isaiah, for unto us a child is given, this was about 700 years before the birth of Christ. And then if you fast forward to somewhere around 4 B.C., and what we see recorded in Luke chapter 2, for example, we begin to see an answer emerge. The answer to the question, for unto us, who are the us? So let's look at Luke chapter 2, familiar birth story of Jesus. I'll start in verse 1, and this is God's word. It says, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that, that now as we turn to your word, Jesus, this story of your birth, that you would 
open our eyes, Lord, that it would sparkle for us because of who you are and what you came to do for us. Lord, we sang, let earth receive her king. Lord, we receive you here in this place. Pray that you be honored as you teach us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing that I would love to, for us to see as we answer this for unto us, who are the us question, is I'd love for us to see that, that Jesus certainly came to a world of super normal and normally overlooked people. Jesus came to, to the utterly normal and, and oftentimes overlooked People. And we can certainly track this through the story. We can start with Mary and Joseph uh, themselves. If you read the story of Mary in Luke 1, it has kind of this, this Abraham quality to it, doesn't it? Where it's like out of nowhere. It just comes out of nowhere. God, because of his, his sovereign grace, he, he chooses Abraham, a nothing and a nobody from Ur of the Chaldeans, through whom his plan of, redemp- of the redemption of all things would come. And it's kind of the same with Mary. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. God's choice of Mary didn't rest on previous accomplishments. It didn't rest on title or superiority or notoriety. She wasn't a queen. She wasn't rich. She wasn't voted most likely to give birth to the Son of God at her high school class. She was a normal girl, most likely, as you know, a teenage girl. Just a normal girl who collided with God's sovereign choice to use her in his plan of the redemption of all things. And of course, his choice of her would thrust her into immediate scandal since the child in her would be conceived of the Holy Spirit outside of wedlock. And we know from other accounts that this was a big problem only to be solved by an angel telling Joseph what was going on. But when we get to Luke 2, we know that, that, that Mary and Joseph are, are just normal. But we get the story where we, we know that each is required to go to their home city. And, and in this story, we continue to see a bunch of normal and, and overlooked people. And it's kind of embedded in this story because we see that they go to, to, to be registered, each to his own town. And it says that Joseph also went up from Galilee to Bethlehem, which was the city of David. And I want to give you a little bit of a warning here because there's something that 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 both like totally annoys me and yet at the same time fascinates me. And what I'm talking about is is kind of the the Bible nerd thing where you, you dig in and and you try to figure out like what exactly is happening. It, it, it's super annoying to me uh, when you get these, these places where, where the preacher says something like, what you always thought happened didn't happen. You know what I'm talking about? And it just is like, it's kind of annoying because it's like, it's like how does that guy know? You know, you know it's like this, these things are 2,000 years ago in a culture, we're removed from the culture and the times by, by 2,000 years. So it's like, so what you're about to tell us that, that actually happened um, somehow you feel confident. So I, I kind of get a little bit annoyed by that. Do you ever get annoyed by that? 
And, I, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's right for us to get our minds into, the, into those days. And I'm one of those preachers. I often try to do that with us as we preach through text of the Bible. Hopefully I don't annoy you. But at the same time, it's totally fascinating though, isn't it? Because if there is something about the scriptures that didn't happen the way that you always thought about it, it, didn't, it doesn't comport with your mind's eye with what you thought was going on, it's, it's often very fascinating. How many of you have seen the series The Chosen over the last couple of years? All right, so many of you. The power of a show like that or others like that is that it just opens our, it humanizes it, doesn't it? These stories just jump off the page at us because you see this is, this is actually real life and real people with real emotions. So while it can be annoying to hear the way you've always thought about this isn't true, I, I do think that it's, it can be fascinating. And, and if you can imagine the birth stories of Jesus are notorious for misunderstandings or misconceptions because the stories have been glossed over by so many years of tradition and, and blending together of the different elements, the, the modern Christmas play versions that we've grown up with in our churches oftentimes have, have mashed together the birth story of Jesus into this kind of infallible mix-up and mash-up that is the birth of Jesus. But then you read somebody like Kenneth Bailey, who's a, a pastor and an author who pastored in the Middle East for 30 years, and he, he wrote a book that I've, I'm reading now called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And his whole goal is to bridge the gap between what most likely happened given the wonderful Middle Eastern people and the rich customs versus what we think happened, which is important in the end because of what it tells us about Jesus. I'll just give you two examples. The first is that that idea that Joseph and Mary just kind of crashed into town, right? That they, they come into Bethlehem, maybe already in labor, and they, they, the, the baby's coming, and you get this picture of there's no room in the inn, like these doors kind of slammed in their faces. And so in desperation, they, they go around back to a barn or to a stable or to a, a cave, and that's where they had Jesus. Well, look at it again in verse 6 of Luke chapter 2. It says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Right? So while they were there, they're not, they're not like crashing into town, like desperate. She's having a baby. She's having a baby. It says while they were there, not, not when they got there or even worse, while they were still on their way. And, and what Kenneth Bailey says is this whole notion of doors being slammed in their faces is so antithetical to the rich custom of hospitality in the Middle East. He says that Middle Eastern people have a tremendous capacity for hospitality. Doors open, table open, especially among the people of God, the Israelites. This is the testimony of all of the scripture in the main for thousands of years. They would have been so hospitable as a town, especially to a young girl who was nine months pregnant. Plus, Joseph 
Luke tells us, was, was a royal. He was of the line and lineage of David, which means that when he arrived in the city of David, he was not an outsider of sorts. He would have most likely been gladly invited into any home, which again is, is most likely what happened. And while they were there, while they were there, the time came for Mary to give birth, which means, number two, that, that she most likely did not give birth in a barn or a stable or a cave, but right there in the home. The homes, uh, Bailey tells us, in a village like Bethlehem then, which was made up of mostly common people, they were homes that either had two spaces or three. And this is actually the illustration that he puts in his book. He says the two spaces version of the home had a single common room where the family would cook and eat and sleep and hang out. And then there was a lower level. You would step down into a a lower level that had a door to the outside where they would let their animals in for the night. The animals would not only be safe from the cold or wild animals, but they would also provide heat inside the home. These were were animals that they took care of. And oftentimes there would be mangers that would be built on the upper section. So if you can imagine a cow going into the stable section, being able to eat out of the mangers at face level, or there would be certainly portable mangers that they could eat out of. Now, some families had another space or what could be called a guest space. This is kind of the the three spaces, whether it was an added on uh, part of the house or you remember in scripture, sometimes they would talk about the roof. They would let people go and stay on the roof. Sometimes the roof would be a spot for people to stay. So what's interesting is we have this word that says that she gave birth. Uh, Because there was no room for them in the inn, right? And it's just crazy because inn makes us think of of a hotel or something like that. But that's just actually not even what the word means. It's it, when Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan who, who provided for the, the hurt uh, person to go and, and stay in the inn, it's a completely different word. And it's a word that, that as you would imagine, it, it gives you the impression of multiple rooms or multiple dwellings. But the word used here isn't that same word. It's, it's a word that actually means guest house. Maybe your Bible even has a footnote. Look at, if you have an ESV, see if there's a footnote on the word in. I'll show you mine. If you could go to the next slide, you can see on mine. You see that? There's no room for them in the inn. So if you, if you click on that footnote, which I did, it says, or guest room. Come on. <laughs> That's, that's totally different, right? That's not even close. I mean, this whole time, right? We, we're just thinking that Mary, like, crashes into town, door slammed in the face. She's having a baby. She's having a baby. You go to the hotel. There's no room. Why? Because everybody's signing up for the registration. The, the town is crowded. So they go into a cave or a barn and, woo, have the baby. Well, not exactly, right? Because there was no room in the guest room which means that the family that they most likely were welcomed into had a guest room, but the guest room was already taken by somebody. So the time came for her to give birth, and she gives birth, 
what most likely happened is for sure all of the men in the house bailed, right? Got out of there. The women probably helped her. They wrapped Jesus in swaddling cloth, which was normal and customary, and yeah, put him in in one of the mangers, either one that was sitting there or a portable one, who knows? So it's all true, but it just isn't quite like the, the Christmas plays that we grew up seeing. But what is my point in all of this? Well, my point is, who are the us that Jesus came to? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. If, if, if this conception of what happened actually happened, the, the us to, to whom Jesus was actually born to are a couple of unnamed people in Scripture that just likely opened up their home and the Savior of the world was born in their house. People just trying to make it. People feeding their families with with hospitality on their mind. They'd already given up their guest room for somebody to come and stay with them. And now they they see a pregnant girl, nine months, and and this boy with her. And they're like, yeah, you can come on in. You can, mi casa, su casa, right? Bring them into their house. Normal people, not even named in scripture. And Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, is born in their place. You can't go to Bethlehem and find it. It hasn't become a a museum. Why? For unto us, super normal people, mostly overlookable people, this is who Jesus was born to. Let's move on to the next group mentioned, these shepherds, right? Continues to drive the point when you think about who did Jesus come for. Look at verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For, look, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now I don't want to belabor this, but once again, don't we have another scenario where the the angel's announcement of the birth of Christ could have come to a better class of people? Isn't it true that, that this greatest announcement ever heard could have been made in a, in, a, in a better city, a more consequential part of the world, like a capital city? Couldn't this announcement have, have better been made in Jerusalem or maybe even Rome or Athens or Alexandria? Well, no, instead, the, the us of for unto us a child is born, here is a group of shepherds. Normal. Working class. Most likely dirty. Clothes reeking of sheep and campfire and B.O. Right, you think Yankee Candle has that? 
that musky, sheepy, sheepish, but campfire, and then working all day. Look, they were most likely poor. As a matter of fact, in the years leading up to the first century, shepherds had been considered unclean because of their profession. Look, who was it that received the greatest announcement ever? Think about it. These shepherds were just trying to make it. They were in the daily grind. They were working night shifts, wondering how to keep it all together. Those who celebrated the highs of the good years, the good birth rates, and those who lamented the lows of ravaging diseases or wild animals that decimated their flocks. They lived paycheck to paycheck, right? Maybe even wondered, does God even see us? Certainly, normal society doesn't. But does, does God, I wonder if God ever sees me. Isn't that often what people on the margins feel like? Of course God sees the popular people. Of course God sees the in crowd. God is at the houses of the rich and at the parties of the well-liked and the accepted. But out here on the dark edges, where clean and unclean gets blurred, in that place where I feel like I can hide from God and people, it's right there that the greatest announcement ever heard came. Isaiah prophesied, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. But, but who was that actually spoken to by the angels? Well, certainly Jesus came for all humanity, But in the context, the angel said, for unto you is born this day. Group of unnamed, normal, marginalized, blue collar, hardworking, bruised and battered, working in the blazing heat, sleeping in the freezing cold. probably normal families. But they were the ones among the first to see the second person of the Trinity enfleshed. Can you see the heart of God at Christmas? Let's look at two more. This is in verse 25 of Luke 2. It's like the world's longest chapter, isn't it? Have you ever been in that spot where you're like, hey, okay, kids, let's read Luke 2 on Christmas morning? And it's like 112 verses, you know? Your kids are looking at their presents and they're like, dad, come on, or mom, come on. This is verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace 
according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then down in verse 36, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak to him, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Look, who are the us? And for unto us a child is born. Well, here we have two more. And by the way, I do commend an in-depth study of the entire chapter this Advent season. It, it really is phenomenal and fascinating. But here you have a man and a woman and all of the hopes and dreams of two people who lived with promises made but not kept until this moment. A man named Simeon held on to a promise from God that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. But think about it, up to that moment, he hadn't. It was a promise unfulfilled. There's a fine line between, between hope when you're hanging on to a promise and, and pain and devastation that it hasn't happened yet. Depending on the day or the hour, you might be in one place or the other. He lived with the daily, ten, the daily tension of, will it be today? Something that he deeply longed for and, and even was promised by God, God himself. But year after year, it hadn't happened. I wonder if you feel like you're holding on to a promise or a hope that hasn't happened yet. And then there's this woman who was only married for seven years and then her husband died. And for decades until she was 84 years old, she lived with the loss. And yet she brought her pain and her loss into the presence of God. She was simply a faithful day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year worshiper of God. Did this woman get to hold the savior of the world too? Look, these are senior saints who saw a lot of life, who had pain and difficulty as a part of their story. They held on to promises and hope so close to their hearts for so long. But, but can you see just, just normal people? In this story, we have men and women throughout. We have young and old. We have common. Probably overlooked most of their lives, named and unnamed. Do you think we're going to meet the couple in heaven someday in whose home Jesus was born? Do you ever wonder if people who made the Bible will have like a special lanyard or something like that? You know what I mean? 
I hope, I hope that's the case, because you just run around like, who are you? Who are you? Oh, I'm in the genealogy and numbers. Oh, okay. Who are you? Right. Yeah, we're the couple that, that just opened up our home. Or yeah, we were, I was one of the shepherds that night. Probably overlooked in their own world. Maybe felt marginalized. This woman, Anna, the people think she was crazy. A little cuckoo. Because she just went to the temple day and night, prayed and fasted. Look, who do you think Jesus came for when you read his birth story? Who is the us? I think the point is this Christmas, I think God wants you to remember that Jesus came for you. That Jesus came for me. Christmas isn't for everybody else but you. Jesus didn't enter the world of everybody else with you on the outside looking in. For unto us, brothers and sisters, normal people like us, probably overlookable people like us, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, no matter who you are, and worship team, you can join me. Maybe, maybe you're here this Christmas and you're just buried by life and work and responsibilities. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're anxious. Maybe this year has not been more windfall than loss. Maybe you're just trying to make it week after week, trying to do life, put food on the table, put a smile on your face and do it all over again day after day. Listen, he came for you. Maybe you have more kids than hands and feet and energy. You're in the throes of training and and discipline and cleaning up. Normal. Not making headlines. Don't even have the energy to keep up with an Instagram picture of yourself. Look, mom, he came for you. Maybe you're stressed. Maybe you're so stressed by money and finances. It just grips your heart with anxiety. He came for you. Maybe you have a past and you don't believe that God could forgive what you've done. Maybe you're pregnant out of wedlock right now. He came, he came for you. Maybe you've sinned and you felt the electricity of guilt and shame go through your body. Jesus came for you. Maybe you wonder if you'll ever receive what you think you've been promised. Maybe you wonder if you'll ever get married or have a child. Maybe you wonder if you'll see an adult child ever follow Jesus. Look, Jesus came for you. For unto us, 
child is born. Maybe your marriage didn't work out like you hoped. Maybe you're sick, experiencing a a disease or, or chronic pain this Christmas. struggle with same-sex attraction. You don't know what to do. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. He came for you. Maybe you're a young man. You don't know what your purpose is in life. Look, Jesus came for you and for me. He didn't come for someone else came so he could take all of our sorrow and sin and shame and brokenness to a cross in order to save us and give us life and hope and joy in him no matter what this life brings to us. From cradle to the cross, Jesus came for you and me. Amen? For unto us. So this Christmas, how can you let Jesus in? How can you let him in? where you're at? In what places are you trying to do life without him? He came to us. He came for us. He came to save. He entered our world. Will you let him enter your world this Christmas and bring hope and life and answers in who he is? it is a special time festive time for sure we mostly love Christmas because of all of the many things but where we so clearly see your heart and your birth stories and and just how it went down it's just so amazing and wonderful and thrilling. You weren't born in a castle. You weren't born to kings and queens. You didn't have gold placed on your head and and trumpets throughout the realm announce your birth by human lips only to live in a silver bubble. But you came for people like us. But I pray for all of us that that we would open our hearts and our lives and and let you in. We wouldn't think that this Christmas is for everyone else or that you are for everyone else. We would bring our our joys, our desires, our hopes, our sadness, our confusion, our frustrations, our anxieties. We bring it all to you. Because unto us, like us, you were born. So Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for coming. Pray that by your spirit now, you just would touch hearts as we worship you and close. Be with us. Amen.